0: This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters. Hey entrepreneurs, my name is Felix and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Shazam Muhammad told the story of how he started a business where he doesn't even have to work every day. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that's built a $100,000 business from picking up the phone and calling cart abandoners. In this episode, you'll learn how to use Facebook ads to validate if there are any signs of life for your market, how to use question-based selling, and what you should say when you're calling cart abandoners. Today, I'm joined by Ahmed Iqbal from GetNadeef.com. That's G-E-T-N-A-D-E-E-F.com. Nadif sells handheld bidets and bathroom accessories. and was started in 2015 and based out of Toronto. Welcome, Ahmed.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, about your store and uh, you know the products that the, the I guess some of the most popular products that you sell.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, so I sell mostly bidets and a lot of other bathroom accessories, but mostly bidets um, and uh, and just like bathroom hygiene products. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward, pretty uh, pretty specific. Um, you know, I don't focus too much on other things. I just focus specifically on on uh, on bidets.
0: Yeah, I mean this. It is pretty specific. Um, And how did you, I guess, come across this? You know, there's so many things you can sell. Obviously, how did you come across uh, these particular products? Like, what made you decide to focus on these? I think
1: that's a great question. Um, It it came out of frustration. I think most. I think most. uh, Like, I have a lot of ideas, and um, I'm kind of entrepreneurial. I like. I like um, you're trying to solve problems, Um, but I find that the, the you know the endeavors that have the most success are ones where. You actually are, are executing on from your own frustration. So for me personally, you know, I grew up in I grew up in Asia, in South Asia, in the Middle East. Travel traveled a lot as a child when I was very young, um, and I lived in a lot of countries where bidets were, you know, commonplace. Like they were already in in all the bathrooms. There were all, people were already using. Them. It was like a normal part of life, and so I grew up with with that uh, with that standard, or you know, with that. With that level of hygiene, or just that that uh, that expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I moved to Canada for for university, when I was when I turned 18, you know that was something that we didn't have here, and, and that was kind of kind of it felt weird for me to, to use the bathroom. It Was just something that uh, you know I thought I needed to change. Um, and I you know I went without one for a while, uh, but then you know I just thought you know I really want one. I wonder how easy it might be to install in a bathroom here. Actually, I talked to a lot of my other friends who have a similar background to me. That traveled around a lot. You know, they they had the same frustration as me. And I would ask them questions like, you know, why don't we like why don't you have one? Why don't you why don't you use one? And the answer was one of two was was uh, one of two, if not both, uh, answers. Which was one, uh, they don't sell them here, which is true. There's no like you can't just. You know, you don't even know where. To, if I asked you where would you get one, you probably wouldn't be able to tell me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, uh, they're probably too hard to install. It probably requires a lot of like renovations, and the contractor has to come in or something like that. Uh, and actually, both uh, answers I felt like I could solve for one uh, about people not knowing that it's there. Well, with Facebook ads or with Twitter ads or with any kind of targeted ads, I can just reach whoever wants one. Uh, and secondly, in terms of how easy it is to install, actually I found a supplier and we tweaked the design a little bit to make you know, installation like under two minutes long. I actually have a video on the website that shows you how to install in less than two minutes. Uh, so I solved both of those problems and I thought that, hey, you know, if I could do this, um, then you know anybody could do this and that's that's kind of how the gears started to spin.
0: I, I like this and I've heard this uh, A lot actually recently where you take an idea of a product. That's not actually that innovative Like it's not something that's new right days have existed for such a long time Like you said, it's everywhere in you know, all the places that you've traveled to but you found out that there's specific tweaks or specific Issues either with the product itself or with the way that you can get access to the product And then you improve those things and all of a sudden you have a business so uh, I think I think um, this is a, a really important point because a lot of entrepreneurs always try to think of brand new ideas, brand new products, When you can just find what's already out there, what's already selling, and then find ways to improve it. So when you were doing this kind of um, research, I'm not sure how formal this research was for you, but you sound like you're asking a bunch of friends uh, around you and seeing their experience with trying to get access to bidets. How many people did you talk to? Like, what was this, this process like and in case anyone else out there wants to replicate this when they're trying to come up with a product? to sell
1: yeah I think uh, okay so I I already knew that the product had market fit like what you were just talking about you know millions of people if not billions of people all over the world are already using this thing they already you know have it they already you know know what it is Uh, and so the product market fit was already there you know, to your point about it, you just need to figure out how to kind of, you know, sell it in a more innovative way or a much more you know, approachable way, uh, easier to understand, easier to order the whole unboxing and ordering experience. And the website, obviously, the website needs to look good. All these other people, all these other companies, their website it looks like it was built in 1995. So, you know, there's a trust factor online as well. Uh, so there's just all these things. But, you know, going back to your question about you know, how did I do research around this? It was pretty it was pretty informal. Um, I just knew, first of all, I just wanted to solve the problem for myself. That's the first thing, right? I just wanted to think, I just wanted to confirm that, Hey, can I solve this problem for myself? And is it easy for me to solve for myself? And when I found out the answer that was yes, then I thought, okay, well, is this scalable? And the answer is also yes. With things like Alibaba and with, you know, Shopify and things like that, it's obviously scalable. Um, and that's really the only thing that I needed to do in terms of the research, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I kind of, I'm a little bit um, hesitant to kind of advise other people to do it this way, but one thing that, that worked for me was, I actually, because I didn't have any really disposable income, right? I had, I didn't have money to order, you know, all my inventory up because, you know, with Alibaba, there's a minimum order quantity mm-hmm. of, of like, you know, 500 pieces, and I just, and I didn't have the money for that, um, and so, you know, what did I do to take, to mitigate that risk? Well... I actually just set up my Shopify store and I ordered some samples because you know, the the, the factories will sell you samples. And I took all my product photography, I did all my installation videos, all that stuff using that one sample that I ordered um, to make it look like I had a lot of these uh, and I started selling even before I had inventory. Uh, And so that mitigated my risk. So like my first customers that ordered, it took them a month to get their product because then I had to, you know, once I had some orders and I ordered them and then, you know, I shipped them out. but, um, but, you know, th- that's also one thing you can do, you can sell, you know, worst case, if you can't figure out the inventory thing then just refund everybody. And that's kind of the approach that I took. Uh, it was like, you know, getting actual orders, getting actual people to put their credit card information in. That was the test that I really needed to, to, to pass, you know, just putting up a sign up page and showing your interest or signing up for a newsletter. I was concerned that they would be like false positives, Mm -hmm. right? It's easy to just give your email address. It's easy to just visit the website and kind of express some kind of intent, but it's a lot harder to actually put your your credit card information in. And and I didn't want a false positive. So I I wanted a true positive. And that's why, you know, I, I had the customer go through the full experience before um, before I before I even bought my own inventory.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is an approach that a lot of people recommend as well. Even if you're like launching a Kickstarter, for example, you're essentially doing that. You're taking kind of pre orders up front. Um, but you, you said that you wouldn't necessarily advise people to take this approach. So, you know, why not? Like, what could have gone wrong?
1: Um, I don't know if something could have gone wrong. I don't know. It just feels weird. Um, it, it seems a little bit um, deceptive. You know, you're telling your customer that you have it already, but you don't. There's a little bit of a deception there. So you need that confidence. Um, um, I guess what I'm saying is that this is slippery slope. If you're selling something that's hard to procure yourself as an entrepreneur, you're selling it and you're using that money to kind of build the business. What happens if it doesn't work out? You have to give everybody their money back, but you don't have the money anymore. So it's Mm -hmm. just very slippery. I think, I think it requires a lot of um, maturity and responsibility um they, I, I don't
0: know I, I know a lot of people yeah. that are also
1: e-com entrepreneurs that i wouldn't think that it would work well for their idea
0: mm. yeah i think it's one of those things that if it all goes well goes right then nothing gets hurt but then when it goes wrong it go really wrong uh but yeah. you, you mentioned that the, there could be some ideas of where this wouldn't work well you don't have to give a specific you know examples or companies but like uh what kind of criteria do you think uh needs to be met if, before you try this approach of pre-selling before you actually have the inventory
1: Yeah, I think it needs to be very easy to procure. So it's not something that you're building customized for yourself. Like there was that um, Scully helmet. I don't know if you heard about that, but they did really, really well on Kickstarter. It was a helmet that had like a camera in it. Uh, It was like a smart helmet for motorcyclists. And they took, they had lots and lots of orders. They made millions of dollars in revenue, uh, but they were still trying to figure out how to make the product work. And at the end of the day, the whole company went under and everybody that gave them money as a pre-order lost all their money and they're not going to get their product. So I think that, I think the product has to already exist. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It has, you have to be able to get inventory shipped to you quickly. Um, and I think that's pretty much the two major criteria. And, And also I think you, you don't really, you wouldn't need much money to kind of set up your store. Like for me, really, I just needed a couple hundred dollars to set up my Shopify store and like buy a theme and kind of, you know, set, set everything up. So I, th- I think if your product requires you to still do a lot more R&D or de- you still haven't found your supplier yet or you still don't know, like you still haven't even used it for yourself, you haven't given enough time to test it for yourself. Uh, then I think it can be a problem.
0: Mm, okay. So you basically had a product already, you knew you found a supplier on Alibaba or wherever you look, the distribution's already set up for them to get it to you. All you want to do is minimize the risk because of these minimum order quantities. You wanted to make sure you hit that minimum order quantity before or, or at least get a, a significant amount of sales to justify right. a business before diving in. Did yeah. you were you able to meet the the minim minimum order quantities off of that initial run, or did you just get enough to validate?
1: Exactly. It was all about validation. Um, it was that, okay, well in the first week I actually sold like 20 of them, uh, which was a lot more than I had thought that I would sell. And, uh, and given that I was like, oh, well, if I, if that's the, if that's it, you know, in a few months I can meet the MOQ in minimum order quantity. Um, but you know, that's okay for me to take the risk. So, you know, uh, put something on my credit card you know I had some money like I have a full so actually I should also say I have a full-time job and that full-time job kind of acted like my investor or my 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 you know my financial Mm -hmm. I guess my VC you could call it Uh, and so I had the money coming in there it's really it's a cash flow issue right because when you're ordering like yeah you have I had cash coming in every month or every other week through my salary but um an MOQ of 500 pieces is still going to be, you know, like thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you just might have laying around. So, yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, uh, just mitigating that risk and knowing that, hey, you're going to make this money back. And that's when I
0: did it. Mm, okay, cool. So how did you, so you, let's say someone wants to follow this path and they want to do what you did. They uh, contacted a supplier. They have a supplier set up and they're ready to go. They have the site set up already to, to take these orders. How did you drive traffic to Like, How do you actually get people in the door to potentially buy the product or at least check it out?
1: I used uh, two, uh, two, two ways to drive traffic from right away. Um, one was Facebook ads and the other one's Google ads. Uh, that's pretty much, pretty much it. I had a few hypotheses like, you know, these are the types of people that might be interested, you know, anybody that travel to, the, to a country before that uses them maybe were visited. they were on they were on vacation and they went to you know thailand where they have them and they're coming back now you know try to target people like that or uh obviously people that are searching long-term keywords for things like how Dollar install a bidet or things like that you know targeting those people so that's how it worked out um and and actually that's how I got a lot of my traffic in the
0: beginning. Okay, cool. That makes a lot of sense. You have the site set up. You you're not gonna want to wait around for organic uh, search traffic to come in because that'll take too much time. Pay right. for the pay for the visitors, pay for the traffic first just to validate. Uh, do you remember how much you invested early on during this validation phase?
1: Yeah, it was very low. It was like $200
0: maybe, $200, $300. Okay. And you know, obviously, when you do launch, anyone out there that has tried running ads, it takes a while to, to improve your targeting oh, yeah. and your ads to actually make it profitable. At that point, were you thinking about that? Like, uh, Was it profitable in the early stages when you were just trying to validate or did it matter?
1: Yeah, I think um, this is also a really good question. The thing with Facebook ads in the beginning, especially Facebook, I don't know so much about, uh, about how this would work on Google, but with Facebook specifically, um, really what you're looking for is you're looking for signs of life. So, yeah, my customer acquisition cost was very high. It, it was like four times as high as it is now. Uh, and so it was very hard. It was very expensive for me to drive traffic because I didn't really know what I was looking for. I was, you know, I didn't really know what, who I should be targeting when, you know, what they like, what their interests are. I was still, didn't really understand quote unquote, what my customer's avatar looked like. I didn't know. Um, and so, um, you're just really looking for signs of life. Like, is it, even if it's profitable by like five cents, okay, there's signs of life here. And once you know that there's a pulse, then you can kind of start experimenting and try to optimize those ads. And so that's what I did. If you look at my earlier data, like my customer growth was very high, my profitability was very, very low. Uh, But now over time, since it's been about 13 months now that I've run, that I've uh, had the store, and now it's like, I actually keep this graph, I make this graph on Excel, it's it's, it's now starting to look exponential. Even though I'm running the same budget for my ads, I'm just targeting different people I've also started leveraging lookalike audiences. So now I think lookalikes is very very powerful because now Facebook knows over the last 12 months of all the people that uh, have been on my site, that have been active on my site, and that have been have bought on my site, the lookalikes I can target people that look like those people. And so, mm-hmm. and so it takes time to develop what that lookalike audience looks like. Um, and once you have that, then I think. You know, like you have a you have a better chance of success, especially when it comes to niche products. I, I think I think especially for niche products.
0: Mm. Okay, that makes sense. So th- this, um, I like this approach that you've taken because it's pretty methodical, right? You looked for a product, you tested it out using Facebook ads, you already looked up the the, um, the supplier and everything, got everything ready to go, and it sounds like a pretty st- step-by-step approach. What was the timeline during this entire phase? Like By the time you decided that I wanted to do this and actually started researching suppliers, how long did it take from that point until, let's say, the end of your validation phase where you realized, okay, this is a, a potential business? business?
1: So when I got my first sample and really, I think the timeline starts when my first sample came in from, from my supplier, I was actually sitting on the sample for a while. I didn't do anything with it for a while. Um, I don't know why. I think it was just because I didn't have that, you know, I didn't have any positive feedback. Like I didn't have anything to tell me to keep going. Um, but it took me about three months since when I got my sample to actually use it and to actually start like playing around with it and experimenting with it. Um, and so, if I didn't just take that extra three months, I think in total, I think because it took me three months to even do anything. But after that, it took another three months for me to have everything set up, for me to negotiate with the with the supplier. Actually, I had to get a couple suppliers, not just one. I experimented with several to see what the, what who had the best quality. Uh, so that took some time too. But I think in total, if it, it took me six months, but I think it would have been possible in three months. Um, but going to, you know, why it took slower in the beginning, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to understand this, especially with e-commerce, is you need those wins. You need those quick wins, because those quick wins will tell you to keep going. When I made my first 20 sales in the first week, I was hooked. Like, I was going like turtle speed for those six months before I made before that week. But as soon as that week hit, and I made those 20 sales by the end of that week, it was like, I did a 180 degree shift, like I was a totally different person. Um, uh, I was no longer moving at turtle speed. I was like, you know, just always on about, okay, how can I sell more? Okay, where's what's my next optimization? Okay, you know, how can I target this thing next? Okay, I used to start thinking about new products. And, um, and so I think that's very important. You need to, yeah. you, you can't take too long. You need to strike when the iron's hot and keep the momentum up because that's what's actually going to push you.
0: Yeah, I think this is a very important point, which is that a lot of times maybe the... Uh, entrepreneurship is glamorized where they say oh you just got to get that motivation yourself you know dig deep inside yourself and try to find a way to force things to work and just you know cultivate all of this uh, motivation out of nowhere but what you're saying which I think is a much more kind of realistic pragmatic uh, way to think about it is that you have to set yourself up to gain motivation right you're saying that this momentum is so important early on and you need the this positive feedback which is what you were talking about earlier to to keep you going actually to keep you interested and keep you motivated to keep on working on the business Uh, so now when you look back on it what would you do differently to make sure that you could get those early quick wins to you know essentially get things going a little bit sooner because i mean obviously worked out well it worked out in the end for you but it could have been a totally different story where you kind of stalled out and never continue working on this so what what do you think you would do differently to i guess uh, ensure that things would get moving uh, a little bit better
1: well i think now that I know what I've been through, like now that I know what's possible, I would just do it a lot faster. My second store, I'll be like, okay, well, my first store is already doing this much in revenue. Like I can do that. I can do that again for many more different products, different stores. So I think just the fact that I've done it before, I can do it faster the second time. Um, but if I didn't have success on my first store, I don't know if I would have that same kind of motivation to do it at the same pace and the same effort that I that I would uh, uh, that I may, maybe I would just have done it with the same, method. those same three months where I kind of was really lazy, that probably would have happened again if I didn't have um, experience or some success in a previous one already. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think trying to get those quick wins, uh, just trying to think of, okay, well, what's the next milestone I need to do? Okay, just, you know, scratch that off the list, you know, get reach those milestones.
0: Mm, yeah, this this idea of doing it faster is also very important. You, know, you always want to keep moving. I think the, the issue that the entrepreneurs run into is that uh, maybe they spend too much time thinking and planning on what to do rather than actually taking action. Did you encounter this in, the, I guess, those first three months that you're talking about where uh, you kind of just got the sample but then didn't do anything with it? Like, what, what made you actually kind of, I guess, get off your butt and actually start making progress on the business? Well,
1: actually, what I um – like my background is uh, even before I got my full-time job, before that, I actually had my own tech company. Uh, I started when I was in, in university and uh, and that didn't, I mean, I had, I actually, that was not a successful tech venture. It was one of those things, you know, where you watch that movie, the social network and you're like, hey, you know, Zuckerberg could do it. And he's like super, super rich now. Like, you, got, you know what? I'm going to do it too. And that was kind of where that initial thing came from. And that just wasn't very successful for me. Uh, and so but I learned a lot right and I learned about the power of iteration I learned about like you know started reading things like Eric Reese's The Lean Startup Mm -hmm. started reading books like from Ben Horowitz you know hard thing about hard things you know books like The Innovator's Dilemma Mm -hmm. books like you know there's just I just read so much uh, during that time when I had my startup that was when it was failing I just really kind of matured from from a, from a kid who just wants to get rich quick to someone who realized, okay, well, there's no such thing as get rich quick. There is, you know, you have to take three years of your life to just try to learn something to set yourself up to succeed. So it's almost mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like you're not just going to be successful by trying the first time. It's almost like success your first time looks like just being ready to be successful, you know, mm-hmm. Uh and like just you know had a lot of this philosophical kind of awakening when it comes to things like this. For example, uh, this crazy, crazy realization that I realized was uh, the word uh, w- uh, travel, right? Uh, so or the word work. You know, work in English we know is work is you know to put in work, put in effort to get something done. Uh, actually, in French, that is travailler, right? Which actually has the same root word as the word travel. So. In the origin of the word, travel meant to actually work. So it meant that, okay, well, if I wanted to become a the the, the best blacksmith in the country, uh, I might have had to go find my master. I was the apprentice, I had to go find a blacksmith master. That person had been on the, on the other side of the continent or the other side of the country, and I would have to travel for months, if not years, to get to this person, I'd have to like, stay in people's barns, you know, help them with the chores around the house to earn my keep. I'd have to go, you know, there, talk to that person, research and find out more about this field, find somebody else. So even just the fact that you were going to find your master was work. But when and when you found your master, that was what was success. And then the second part of success was, OK, now now I need to learn as much as I can and, and, and become my own become my own master blacksmith. And so there's always these two steps, and I think that's the same thing with with entrepreneurship. You need to set yourself up to succeed first, and that takes work. And then after that, work even harder to to actually achieve, you know, your, you know, what you envision success to look like.
0: Mm, so you're basically saying you had to travel from these different like companies or projects that you're working on. Uh, to I mean sometimes you know you're not you're not actually at your end goal but it was part of the process that you had to go through in order to ultimately end up where you are today. And and once you get to the your kind of destination at this point that's when you can really cultivate the, the success for, for, uh, finally after you kind of arrive, but still, this is probably just one step in your entire journey of entrepreneurship. You know, your next company, your next one, your next one, your next success over and over again. So I think that's an important point too. Where I think a lot of entrepreneurs they think, okay, I'm just going to start my first business and hope, and it's going to be successful. If it doesn't work, then kind of give up but you're saying that sometimes those failures are just part of the journey because it's necessary for you to learn those lessons necessary for you to go through those things before you can ultimately arrive at your you know your end destination yeah exactly Exactly. Cool. Um, so, so yeah, this uh, I think you said earlier on too that you had a lot of ideas for things you wanted to do and you finally settled on the deep after recognizing that this is a problem that you had yourself. Um, I think, you know, other entrepreneurs out there have this, uh, it's a gift and a curse where you're always constantly thinking about new companies to start, new products you want to add to your, to your store, to your catalog. Uh, do you still encounter this? Like, are you, how, do, and how do you battle to make sure that you're focused specifically in your case on these, Uh, handheld bidets and bathroom accessories. Oh man, I think you've
1: just like asked the ultimate question for me. Like I just, I constantly battle this uh, every day. Uh, And what I've, what I've um, come to now is to channel, to channel these other ideas. So do the ideas and work on the ideas that actually have synergy with what you're already doing. Mm. So let me, let me give you an example. So you know, while I was doing Nadif, I actually had a lot of these other, uh, you know, when I was started working on Shopify, I became a Shopify merchant. I had never been a Shopify merchant before. Now I'm a Shopify merchant for the first time and I want to solve my own problems now. So, for example, things like, you know, little things like, you know, the currency doesn't work really well and, you know, maybe I should just build an app to fix that or, hey – I'm looking to sell my business, but there's no marketplace where I can go sell my business. Maybe I should develop a marketplace where I could sell my Shopify store. So I had all these ideas um, and and a lot of them were and they were all channeled around Shopify. Um, but it wasn't anything that I felt like I was really feeling much of a frustration. So that became like my litmus test is, is this problem that I'm having as a Shopify merchant really that frustrating that it's like keeping me up at night and that's why I have to solve it. So that's what kind of uh, um, weeded out a lot of majority of the ideas, like like nine out of 10 of the ideas. Now the one idea that I have still that I am very passionate about in parallel with, with my current business is called Scout. It's scoutcr.com. And Scout is actually this uh, app that will notify you when abandoned cart happens. So it's a very, 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 very basic app. It's like it took like a weekend to develop. Um, But essentially what I found that made a big, big success for my store uh, as my Shopify store, like the number one advice I would give to everybody who wants to scale from, let's say, you know, doing $10,000 a year to doing $100,000 a year. I think really that is to talk to your customer call up the customers that have bought already, call up the customers that haven't bought, that have left their phone numbers on their abandoned cart, call them up, ask them, why didn't they buy or why did they buy? uh, What questions do they have? What are they looking for? What other things do they want to buy? Just have those conversations because that's what's going to teach you uh, what really your customer is looking for. You know, we have cognitive biases, like as, as the person who set up your own story, like, oh yeah, that's, that's easy to understand. Like I sell these three products, you know, my major product is on my homepage, which was actually the case for me. My major product is on the homepage. I sell these other products, but, you know, they're pretty easy to find. I'm sure somebody that's on my website can find it. Uh, but I actually had a really big abandoned cart problem when I first started. Like for every, you know, one sale that I made, there was like three that were being abandoned. Like people had typed in all their information and when they would click on the choosing their shipping, me- shipping method, they would just close it and they would just not come back. And I knew that I need to figure out how to solve this because, you know, you know, potentially, you know, um, 75 percent of my sales are just like not even happening. So uh so so i just started calling people i would go into the abandoned checkouts part of my orders uh dashboard in my shopify admin i'd click on abandoned cards and i would see all the abandoned cards that are there and i would you know first i had that, that auto email thing going out mm-hmm. but that success rate was only like five to ten percent best month i had a 20 percent success rate on my auto emails but when i started calling people saying hey you just, you know, you didn't end up checking this out. Is there anything that I can help you with? This is a courtesy call. Like, is there anything that you, you need? Anything to help you with? Any questions that you need answered? I'm, I'm here for you. And, and I think the it works because it's a niche product, and so people don't mind getting calls from I think niche product uh, mm-hmm. merchants, and especially when you say, hey, I'm the owner of this website. They, they also feel like, oh wow, okay, someone like the owner is actually calling me. Um, and that changed everything. Like, honestly, just by me calling up my customer, it changed everything. I found out from one conversation that they needed this complimentary product, which I sold. It was a hot water mixer. They said that I don't want to buy this bidet unless it's going to have hot water too. And I was like, oh, well, I actually sell that product. It's, it's on the second page. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. So, so I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. I, I didn't, I had a cognitive bias. I thought that somebody would be able to find it out if they wanted it, but I put it on the front page. And literally overnight, my abandoned carts dropped significantly. Not just that, but my average cart value went up by $20. So like literally like the average that week went from being $80 per checkout. It went to being hundred dollars per checkout, just like that in the next week. And I, and I'm 95% confident that it was because of that change that I made. And it's little things like this that will grow you into like a much more successful business. Uh, and I would not have been able to do that if it wasn't for calling my customers. So that's why I built Scout. So Scout is just like, it just links to your messenger. And anytime an abandoned cart happens, within 15 minutes, I get a notification. Hey, you know, John Doe just abandoned their cart. This is what was in their cart. Do you want to call them now? I just click a button and it starts dialing them. It's it's just, it's changed everything. So because I started using Scout for myself and, and by using, it wasn't called Scout at the time. It was just like a, a quick hack that I made. Um, but it took me from 20% abandoned cart recovery to 60% abandoned cart recovery. Not only that, but then I started upselling. So, so many times somebody had $60 in their abandoned cart, but they ended up, after having a call with me, ended up buying $240 worth of stuff. And that just happened again and again and again. So, I was like, okay, well, if I'm benefiting from this, I'm sure other niche product merchants can benefit from this as well, which is why I've turned that now into its own product. And so, to your question... Um, I think it's about synergy. If you're mm-hmm. having a lot of other ideas and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs have that curse, at least try to find the synergy with what you're doing already.
0: Mm, that makes sense so this um, this approach with uh, calling customers is definitely different than what i 've heard as well where I think what you tried initially, which is just to set up those automatic emails that will email someone when they abandon the cart. Uh, what made you take that first step like did you always feel comfortable you know it's not necessarily cold calling because they're obviously expressing intents in buying the product, but still you these customers probably aren 't expecting a call. Did you feel comfortable the very first times you were doing this? Uh, no,
1: honestly, no. Um, but there, but I knew that they weren't cold calls. Just like you said, I knew that they were hot calls because they these guys were like just one click away from actually making a purchase. So mm-hmm. I know that the intent is there. The other thing was, uh, actually, in the beginning, I wasn't calling them right away right? because I didn't have this app that would tell me right away. So it, it might have been a week later that I end up calling the person. And so that was a little bit, they're a little bit confused, you know, why are they, they going the call? But again, because it's a niche product, because they have the intent, it was pretty easy to have. And again, it's the same thing with the initial, when you have, when you build that momentum around getting, just getting started, you're always going to feel friction at the beginning. But if you want to grow your business, you also have to grow your personal self. Personal development has to come before your business can grow. It's not the other way around because your business is an extension of you. And so if you want your business to grow, you yourself have to grow first. I think inherently it's just like it's a universal law. And so by calling somebody up and you're shy, and I know I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that started beta testing scouting, they're like, I know, I'm too shy to call. But I'm saying, okay, well, if you want to grow your business, you have to grow yourself too. And, and you know, you have to step outside of your comfort zone. And so when I started doing that, I started getting really good feedback from my calls. Now I can't wait to call an abandoned card customer. Now I actually look forward to having an abandoned card so I can call them. Um, so it's like a totally different, I think once you start, um, and you get that positive feedback, it gives you the confidence to keep doing more of it.
0: Mm, makes sense so you you mentioned earlier on that you do have a, a day job still um and you know you said when you first started doing this you were still calling them a week uh, after because you didn't have an automated service for this that you built just yet uh now today like how do you i guess squeeze in the time like when, when are you making these calls is there a certain number of hours or maybe days that that needs to be done with it like what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah now i try to do it the same day um for example if i'm at work i take my lunch hour like i eat on my desk i won't go out for lunch i'll bring my lunch with me i'll eat at my desk and during my lunch hour i'll make my calls um and uh or like for example actually a lot of my a lot of my my checkouts happen on the weekend so that's fine Uh, a lot of it happens after hours like after 6 p.m like i would say 80 percent of my sales happen after 6 p.m uh or on the weekend and so that's that kind of it kind of works out already Uh, but i would say call them right away Uh, what what i've seen a few times happen which really kind of actually it really upset me when I first found out that this was happening was people were on my site, they abandoned, I would call them like within 10 minutes of them abandoning. And when I was on the phone with them, they would tell me, Hey, I'm actually on Amazon looking for a cheaper price. Mm. And I was like, Oh man, because I just, because I spent money on that person's traffic, right? I had to spend a dollar or for example, whatever X dollars or whatever it is for them to actually get on my site. And, uh, and so now I've spent money on them and they're not even going to convert me. They're going to convert with one of my competitors who didn't even buy any ads against them. So that really upset me that my competitors who were not driving paid paid traffic to their product, they're kind of taking it off me. So that really upset me. But again, that again, motivated me even more that I need to call these customers up. So when I called this person up, he just admitted to me that he was on Amazon looking for a lower price. Well, I just like, you know, I didn't still, I didn't match that. He had a, he found a really really low price, which I didn't want to match. But I just told him, look, you get this customer service. Um, I'm this I'm the owner of this company. I'm calling you up. I'm here to help you. If you have any problem installation, these other guys they're not going to be able to help you. I'll help you. Call me up. This is my personal number, and I'll help you. And so the person ended up coming back and buying again. Not just the, not just buying that one for their one bathroom, but buying four, one for each of their bathrooms. So, so the the upsell also happened, uh, and so I think like it's important to do it right away because that's when it's the most relevant to that person. That's when they're already in the mode, in the mood to buy. I think if you wait a week, they're, they're onto something else. Chances are they might have bought it from somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. might be too late.
0: Mm, cool. So for someone that wants to start doing this, whether using uh, an app like yours or just like, doing the way that you're doing it manually before by looking at car banners and calling them up themselves, can you give us an idea of like your script, I guess, that they, someone can work off of? They pick up the phone and call a customer. Like what should they be saying?
1: Yeah. So hi, my name is Ahmed. Uh, I'm the owner of GetNadif.com. I saw that you were on my website uh, and they showed interest in these products. Uh, I just wanted to call. This is a courtesy call. I just wanted to call and see if there's anything I can help you with. Are there any questions that you had? You know, I'm here to help. Was there an issue with the price? You know, let me do what I can uh, to make you happier to answer your questions. It's just, it's very straightforward. It's exactly like that script. Uh, and, uh, and and just listen. And then just like wait for your customer to keep talking, keep talking. Um, and, you know, if you're not sure with really what they want, just ask them more questions. But really, uh, you're, you're looking to listen. Mm-hmm. You're really looking to listen first. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you're not calling them to try to pitch something. You're really trying to learn from them what's what their objections are or what their issues might be.
1: Exactly. It's called question-based selling. Actually, I learned about this a long time ago. It's, it's, it's called question-based selling. You're not selling by pitching first. You actually listen to what their needs are, and then you kind of cater your pitch mm-hmm. to what they just told you their need was.
0: Mm, so much more customized than just kind of blanket pitch there to the same thing to everybody that makes sense, so what you mentioned too that uh the upselling was a big part of it sounded like a surprise that you didn't expect uh with these uh, car abandonment calls that you're making. How did that work like were you also um i guess uh purposefully trying to upsell them on something or were they just organically decided to buy more because you you uh, were talking to them
1: well yeah um so uh, both uh, one was because my my product was also unique in the sense that you know you can have one for each bathroom so when people just have one in their cart I know that most houses have more than one bathroom like at least you have two at least you know you could have up to you know you could have up to four bathrooms in your house so I would just ask the question you know like how many bathrooms do you have just started off as a question oh you know I have four but I just want to buy one to see how it works first um and then I'll buy the other three so I'm like okay well interesting well you know uh, because I, I give free shipping with my with my product, I could say, well, you know, if you're buying all four, I don't have to send – I can actually give you a cheaper price because mm-hmm. I, whatever I would save in shipping, I can just give it back to you. Plus, if you're worried about quality, I have a warranty. And if you have any problems at all, I just replace it for free. And so that just totally took away any of their um, – uh, concerns with it because I just told them that any concern that you have, I, I mean, you have the warranty, worst case if it doesn't work out. So, so yeah, that's how it works. But again, if you, that's that's just because my product is is that way. But if you have another product, let's say I, I don't know what it is, but just you know, find out. Um, you know, maybe it's around Christmas. Maybe you ask, like, you know, is there something that your friends might like, or uh, maybe you can kind of gift them, gift it for their friends. You know, uh, uh, Shopify also has that gift card feature. You know, I'd, I'd be happy to give you a free $5 gift card that you can send to your friends. Yeah, that $5 gift card doesn't cover the whole product, but you know, if their friend might want it too, then they'll use it and get $5 off. So again, there's just so many, you just get creative with it, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just uh, and, and you'll learn more as you have more calls. I can't just give a mechanical script of, hey, this is exactly what you say to get sales, it's going to be different for each product and different for each person and different for each customer type. Uh, but once you start calling, you'll just learn. And then, you know, by the time you're making your 30th call, you'll be like a pro
0: yeah I think one big thing that's going to happen across the board when you are calling customers is the the trust factor just goes up right when they're talking directly to a human rather than just going through your site, especially if you're calling you're saying the owner or the founder of that particular product or or website it it, it just improves so much of the trust factor that it people much feel much more like or much more comfortable spending more with you or coming back to spend again with you so if I could
1: just say one more thing yeah I think you said something really important that you gave me this 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 uh, this uh, realization is, I know that Shopify in themselves, one of their mandates, and I think you would probably know this more than I would, but it's to kind of bring that human element back to shopping, Mm -hmm. right? When we used to go into the store to buy things from the stores, it was because, you know, there'd be a person there, we can ask our questions, we have confidence, we were buying from that person. Uh, There was like a personal, like there was like an avatar associated with like the business that you're buying from. Um, but now with online, it kind of disappears. And now it's you're buying from this face, faceless white label kind of thing. But when you're having a conversation, you're bringing that face back to your business, which is actually what people want. That's, that's, I think that's still why retail, like brick and mortar stores, still exist. And so if we can you know, mimic that experience still online, that's going to be very successful.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. And you know so now that we're on topic of uh, keeping it kind of personalized, this isn't not going to be scalable right for you long term once this business keeps on growing, growing growing. Do you have plans to outsource this or delegate this to other people? What are your thoughts on, on doing that?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I think right now I'm not there yet, so I'm not thinking about that yet. Um, but I think for example, you know <clears throat> right now I get maybe five abandoned carts a day. Which is not much, I can deal with that. Even if I got 20 a day, I feel like I could deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, and so that's still quite a bit of growth left uh, for me to have to worry about it. But I think, worse, you know, if it's like a really, really big business and you, you know, have thousands of abandoned cards a day or hundreds of abandoned cards a day, then yeah, I would say just, you know, uh, outsource it to a VA, you know, like in Indonesia, um, you know, in, in Eastern Europe or something like that. I feel like this is a, rep- I think it's a sca- I, I definitely think it's a scalable process.
0: Mm, definitely. Uh, cool. So you also mentioned uh, in some of the pre-interview uh, answers that you gave about uh, Facebook ads being another uh, key uh, driver for your traffic and sales. Tell us about your strategy on there. Like how did you, I know you initially were talking about how you were using Facebook to test early on. The Your cost of uh, acquisition was four times what it is today. Tell us about that process. Like how did you, how were you able to drive that down over time? Uh,
1: I think it has to do with a lot about that lookalike audiences. You have to give it some time for Facebook to learn what your customer looks like. So if you're not familiar with lookalike audiences, there's a lot of great blogs out there. There's this guy, John Loomer. John Loomer has this great blog on Facebook ads. Uh, I follow a lot of his work. I get a lot of my tips and advice from this person, Um, John Loomer. uh, You can uh, can just Google it and I'm sure you'll find his website. Um, But yeah, essentially what you need to do is just start driving traffic to your site, even if your conversion rate is really, really low, um, create create, you know, the pixel on conversion. And now there's that Shopify, Facebook pixel that you just have to just put one pixel in there um, and just see, you know, who are the people that are converting. So it might, depending on how much, how, how slow the growth of the business is, but let's say it takes you, you know, six months to really drive, let's say a hundred sales. Okay, well, that's fine. Now, create a lookalike audience around those, you know, hundred people or those hundred sales and find more people like that. So a lot of it is, I think Facebook is just a, I think Facebook is a great business. They have a great business model. They're actually doing all the hard work for us merchants in the sense that they're learning who our audience should be. Uh, so I think uh, just trusting like the Facebook algorithm worked for me. I think just drive as much traffic as possible in the beginning so that you can help Facebook help you.
0: Mm. And do you remember how long it took before you started seeing significant uh, decreases in the uh, the cost of user of acquisition?
1: I would say it was like six months
0: in. Okay. Yeah, just kind of give an idea for the listeners if they're thinking about doing this, like not to kind of give, in, give up too early and actually give the, the time that you're saying it needs.
1: But you also need, I would say one thing, it's you, you can't rely on Facebook alone, right? Because you need to kind of add that multiplier effect to it. So I found like other traffic sources, I mean, so Google's obviously one of them, Twitter's another one, um, you know, Pinterest, how is uh, all these other channels that already exist that can drive traffic to your website, use them. Because you might, you know, um, Facebook will also, like you don't have to come through Facebook for Facebook to learn about that person, as long as they have as long as they're signed into their Facebook account, it couldn't like they could be coming from Twitter to your site, but if they're already logged into Facebook, Facebook still knows who they are. So don't just rely only on Facebook. Try to get as much traffic from everywhere as possible. I just think that Facebook is the best way to scale once you have that lookalike profile down.
0: Mm, okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, speaking of uh, other sources, I think you mentioned uh, in, in a pre-interview about uh, organic search being help, very helpful for you, specifically uh, the early investments of uh, building backlinks. So tell us about this. Like, maybe we start off with, like, why are, what are backlinks and why are they important? Matt, to be honest,
1: I don't even know if I can ask that question. It's, I'm, still, I'm still a student of all of this stuff. I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. Even my story, I don't think I'm very successful. I think I need to do a lot more than my story already does. Um, and, uh, so I have no idea, like, I don't really know much about backlinks. I know like kind of what it is. It's, it's, it's like the way that Google, Google search results work is it's Mm -hmm. like through a network effect. So the more websites in the world that are linking back to your website gives more authority to your website. So really it's, it's all about, you know, these other websites in the world that they're linking back to your site. Um, and, and that. Tells Google that hey, this site has more authority because a lot of other sites know of this site, so therefore this site must be more important. That's yeah. kind of how backwards was So I didn't know any of this stuff. I actually just hired a VA in Indonesia. Uh, I found him through Upwork.com. That just you know someone do SEO optimization for me. I didn't really know what it was. It just cost me hundred dollars. Uh, but that person actually educated me as well on what is it, how he did it, um, and so I would just say if you don't know what it is, um, just and you have a hundred dollars, just, you know, I would say hire, somebody knows what they're doing uh, and, and, and let them take care. Now through that person that wrote for me, I show up on the first page of the Google results for my keywords.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Um, and you, you mentioned an, an, when you're running all these uh, these ads and uh, Google search and everything, uh, organic search, building up your SEO uh, traffic, you are looking at specific metrics. And one thing that you called out in in an email to me was about trying to measure the dollars per visitors. Uh, so how do you, first of all, how did you uh, calculate this? And why did you think it was an important figure to know?
1: Um, because, so, so for example, let's say... Um, let's say I drive $200, 200 visits in a day. Um, And from those 200 visits, I make about $200 in revenue. So those numbers for me came, I mean, those those are low numbers. Like my real numbers are between, you know, 300 and and a thousand. And so, you know, I'll have, let's say if I have, if I make, if I have 400 visitors that day, it's a pretty good sign that I'll probably make $400 that day. Uh, and I mean, maybe not specifically looking at one day at a time, but if you look at the last 90 days, okay, so my last 90 days had, you know, um, they had about, you know, 30,000 visitors. I actually made very, very close to $30,000 in those last 90 days. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's really, so, so really why that's important is it tells you how much that you should be willing to pay for traffic. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if one visitor is $1, uh, and let's say my margins are, you know, let's just say 80%. So like my cost is $0.20, uh, 20, uh, 20 cents on that. And so my profits eighty eighty $0.80. So really, I should be willing to spend up to $0.80 cents for any traffic, right? Uh, now, depending on how much money you want to make, okay, well, obviously, you don't want to just break even all the time. Um, maybe you want to take home, you know, $0.40 cents of the dollar of every dollar you make. Okay, well, then that tells you, So from uh, I shouldn't be spending any more than, you know, uh, 40 cents per visitor and that kind of becomes your benchmark. So anything that becomes more expensive than 40 cents a visitor, you just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as you try more things, you'll find, okay, well, that, you know, that experiment did 30 cents a visitor, that experiment did 35 cents a visitor oh, wow, okay, well, that's going to be 25 cents of visitor. Okay, well, what? how can I grow that one more? So it's just because, it's just like a benchmark just to, like you said, it's, it's, it's a little bit methodical. You sometimes have to become a little bit methodical. If you can't measure something, you can't manage it, and, and that's really where I'm coming from. Is, is just to be able to measure it so that when you can measure it, you can manage it better.
0: Yeah, I think the key that you said there was that it gives you an idea of how much you can spend or that you should be spending on acquiring a customer, ideally, obviously, below uh, the, the amount of revenue you can generate from them. Um, but then also you can add in all of these things like email marketing and collecting emails and I, I definitely uh, kind of extending the, the value of a, of a visitor. Um, so you, you threw out some numbers there. You said 300 to 1,000 dollars uh, per day um, so this is like a like at least a six-figure business for you now and you said you said you still had a full-time job what's the plan there do you plan on eventually quitting the job and going full-time into this like what, what, what do you see yourself in uh you know the next few months
1: um so yeah it's, it's a question that i'm struggling with now um i really like my job um i like what i do actually my job is helping businesses be more lean and uh, and take iterative approaches. So I'm a consultant. I actually consult for bigger businesses to be more iterative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like I like what I do. Uh, I really like it. That's what that's I think that's what has kept me from leaving it already. If I didn't like it, I would have left already. I think. Um, uh, but you know, at the same time, my 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 side business is sort of like this, you know, uh, get a thief. It doesn't take as much time as my full time job. Like I just spend about I'd say. An hour to two hours a day on my business, um, and yeah, like I, I will do I will do more than six figures. I actually I actually earn more from getting a thief than from my full time job. So I think it's just one of those things. I, actually, a friend of mine told me this. Uh, he he recently quit his job too. He had an, he had an Amazon store, um, and he matched his income from his job, and he quit. Now, fast forward five months, he's actually looking to get hired again. Like he wants to go back. He's, he's talking to his boss trying to get hired back. Yeah. And so I asked him, you know, why is that? Why is that? He said, okay, well, you know, there's a lot, it's a lot of seasonality, right? There's a lot of ups and downs. Sometimes a product is defective. You have to kind of scratch it or, you know, worst case, something like that happens. Or, hey, you know, um, something really like it's Christmas and my ads no longer working. Like my customer acquisition costs went up by three times just because it's Christmas. And so there's all these uncertainties that come up. So he actually advised to me is that you should probably only quit when you have t- when you make twice as much as your job. Mm. So that's actually what I, this actually, I just actually I had this conversation with him a few days ago. And that's what's changed my position. Initially, I was actually looking to leave a lot sooner. But now that he's told me this, I'm thinking, OK, well, maybe I should wait until I'm making at least 200 a year um and then I'll I'll quit just to just to kind of act as the as the as the buffer when something does go wrong because things cause things will go wrong
0: no for sure and, and I've heard from some uh people in the same situation where they do have a a business that's you know do very well more better than their their day job and they actually end up liking their day job even more after that because they could leave whenever they wanted to. It's just this this kind of freedom that you have oh, when you yeah. have this day job, but you don't necessarily need it. I think it, it yeah, makes it your works. job much more enjoyable. You know what? As soon as you said
1: that, you're totally right. That's exactly how I feel. I just feel more empowered at work. I don't have to. I don't feel like I have to listen to the stuff that I think is frustrating. So all the like, I don't. I no longer have to deal with the things that I don't like about my job. Um, I'll just okay. Well, I could either do A or B. B, I don't really want to do B, so you know what? I'm just not going to do it. And and I'm just really going to have fun and do A and yeah. really do what I like doing at work. You're totally right. That's, yeah, that's a really that's a really great insight, actually.
0: Yeah, you have the freedom to kind of design your job at that point because, like, like what we're saying, you could if you get fired or you leave, it doesn't matter because you have this kind of safety net at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, cool. So, you know, very, very successful. This business has only been around for a little bit over a year. Uh, you've already matched your income from it. Like, where do you see the the business going in the next year or so? What do, what do you want to focus on?
1: Uh, I want to double next year. Um, so in terms of like my milestone is, is to double each year, really. Um, going back to the, you know, kind of like the you know, I want to I want to learn launch new products. So I, I talked about Scout CR, ScoutCR.com. Scout is is this app that I'm developing, and I, and I actually I want to continue building more Shopify apps. Uh, what I learned is I actually really like and really enjoy. Actually, one of the reasons why you know we got in touch uh, was also because I like that you were helping other entrepreneurs as well. I actually found that since you know I have my nine to five job and I'm seeing what the people there are like, you know, I'm seeing there are lots and lots and lots of really really bright people out there that I think are quite frankly underachieving their full potential. Uh, I want to help people like that, you know, reach their full potential. Not, I mean, I'm not to say that I'm reaching my full potential. I, I'm just a student. I just want to help, um, and uh, and so really, I think I want to build Shopify apps that will help. People, you know, get started on Shopify easier, get started on Shopify better, um, and then I can get into get into a position where they can leave their job sooner. That that's why I really love love Scout CR because that changed everything for me. I think if it changed everything for me, it can change a lot for a lot of other people too.
0: Hmm, Very cool. And, uh, I'm not sure how seasonal your product is, but I think as we're coming up on the, or we're kind of already in the holiday shopping season, uh, especially by the time this episode comes out, any, any kind of preparation or plans that you have in place to, to, um, to take full advantage of the holiday shopping season? Uh,
1: yeah, I, you know, when I, since this is, uh, this is about a year old, last Christmas, I was, it was a very small store. So I didn't really have anything to leverage. I didn't have any email list to leverage. I didn't really have much of something to offer. I didn't really know what, what it was. Um, and uh, so now, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but I'm thinking, you know, um, I want to do, you know, maybe some competitions like meme-generated competitions. Like it's something that doesn't really have any, much to do with... Uh, the, the way that I'm really thinking about it is I actually want to give back this Christmas, not really look to make more sales. I'm hoping that by giving back and starting, you know, giving, prize comp- giving competitions for prizes, one thing that I'm thinking about doing is doing a meme competition. So uh, I found that a lot of my customer base is uh, is Asian. Um, so and there's a lot of these funny, you know, Asian memes like, you know, life of an Asian person or, you know, like, um, you know, Asian problems, hashtag Asian, things like that. A lot of people are, are really funny. I personally am very entertained by them uh, because I'm, you know, South Asian as well. There's obviously South Asian memes. There's, uh, I just want to do a competition. Hey, you know, thousand dollars for the best meme that gets the most likes, and just something like that. I don't know. I, I just want to. I, I don't think I'm thinking too much about how do I make more sales. I think I'm thinking a lot more about okay, well, what can I do to just kind of like drive some like viral uh, thing. Uh, I, I don't really know yet. I haven't thought about it too mm-hmm. much.
0: Cool. It makes sense. Awesome. So thanks again so much for your time, Ahmed. So getnadief.com is the website, G-E-T-N-A-D-E-E-F.com. Also, you said scoutcr.com is your app. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out if they want to follow along with what you're up to? Oh,
1: yeah. So I have a, I'm have. on Instagram, a A-H-M-I-Q. Um, I use my Instagram to share a lot of my like uh, my ideas and a lot of like things that I've learned. Uh, But that's pretty much it. I'm
0: on Instagram a lot. Very cool. Thanks again so much for your time, Ahmed. Thanks,
1: Felix.
0: Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.